Welcome back for part two of an extended presentation of Ribbons and Bows, American Women in Violin History. Our heroes were too busy practicing and performing to count their notable firsts, and violinists today are still breaking new ground. Here are a few notable firsts that we've found by women violinists. In alphabetical order, Madeline Carabo, first female violinist in the Cleveland Orchestra. Regina Carter, first female and first black violinist to play Paganini's famous Canon violin. Albena Danielova, the first woman concertmaster of the Vienna Philharmonic and Vienna State Opera. Eroka Trio, the first all-female trio ensemble to reach the top echelon of its field. Thelma Given, the first to play on muted strings. Ida Hendel, the first Western soloist invited to China following the Cultural Revolution. Jana Jay, the first female member of Buck Owens' Buckaroos Band. Delana Jensen, the youngest and first American woman to win a silver medal in the International Tchaikovsky Competition in Moscow. Elisa Lee Kolyonin, the first recipient of the prestigious Henrik Schering Foundation Award. Fredel Lack, first concertmaster of the prestigious Little Orchestra Society of New York. Erica Morini, first outside artist to appear in Poland after the armistice. Kathleen Parlow, first foreigner to attend St. Petersburg Conservatory. Oria Pernell, the first Briton to win a Premier Prix. Rachel Barton Pine won a gold medal at the International Violin Competition in Leipzig, Germany. She was the first American, and at age 17, the youngest person to win this honor. Maud Powell, many firsts, including the first violinist recorded by the Victor Talking Machine Company, first player to introduce violin concertos of Arensky, Dvorak, Sasson, C minor, and Lalo, G major, to America, first woman's string quartet organized in the United States, first female instrumentalist to receive the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. Judith Shapiro, first female concertmaster in a studio orchestra at RKO. Ethel Stark, first woman to conduct at Carnegie Hall. Camilla Urso, first female violin student admitted to the Paris Conservatory. Surprising strengths. Do you think being left-handed puts you at a disadvantage for playing an instrument? Tell that to Sir Paul McCartney, or Paul Simon, or Cesar Rojas from Los Lobos. Tell that to Marie Kaslova, a young violinist who had a glorious tone and played with great agility. She was born left-handed, too, in 1895, and she thought it was an advantage for her. As she saw it, her left arm and hand were much more developed than her right, so she'd have a better time in fingerings and play more in tune. She saw it as a source of strength. In order to make up for any deficiency in bowing with her right arm, she spent a year and a half doing special bowing practices, and she studied with the best under Sevchik, Karl Flesch, and Arrigo Serrato. Every violinist who's played classical music for long enough has likely been subjected by one teacher or another to those Sevchik studies. Well, she got it from the source. Great teaching, studying under a great master, is a source of great strength, not only because of what you learn, but because of the confidence it instills. She played a Guadagnini made in 1750. Guadagnini was the greatest maker in the second half of the 18th century. Of course, the most famous violin maker of the first half of the 18th century was Antonio Stradivari. 
Frances Berkova, a Russian Californian who made her professional debut while still in her teens, had both strong teachers and a strong instrument. She studied under two strong master teachers, Leopold Auer and Carl Flesch, then successfully toured America and Europe to great acclaim. It was during these tours that she established a reputation among some critics as the most promising violinist of the decade. She had a fabulous instrument, now known as the Berkova Guadagnini of 1755, which she used to produce a smooth, beautiful legato and melting tone. Rich tone production and simple bigness of conception. An outspoken violin talent, musical through and through. She delivers a cantilena, seizes the tone by its roots and weaves it with beneficent warmth. Can the weather be a source of strength? Surely, yes, why not? Sunny days can inspire and delight, but even bad weather, much snow, for example, can help your path. Consider it. If there's no point in going outside, it's easier to settle down and practice. Canada's first lady of the violin, Evelyn Starr, hailed from Nova Scotia, where it snows a lot. Her star shone brightest about 1916 to 1917, and she was described as one of the most talented and accomplished women to hail from her country in a generation. Critics raved that her listeners noted with pleasure and no little amazement her finely developed finger technique, her firm and clever bowing, and the pure beauty of tone that she drew from her instrument in spite of the trying weather. The New York Times pointed to good tone, correct intonation, finish of technique, nice taste, and a proper understanding of what she undertook. Having someone to look up to, someone who went before you, is also a source of strength. It's much harder to imagine yourself landing on the moon or sailing across the ocean solo if nobody else has ever done so successfully before you. It's easier to imagine yourself becoming a successful business person or going to college if you've seen someone in your family do that. Role models, they matter. And there was indeed a Canadian-born violinist with an even brighter star before Evelyn. That would be Kathleen Parlow, the lady of the golden bow. And what a role model she was. Parlow was born in Canada and then moved to San Francisco at the tender age of four, the same time she began playing the violin. She was the first foreigner to attend St. Petersburg Conservatory, where she studied under the great pedagogue Leopold Auer, the only female in her class of 45 students. The fact that she was alone shouldn't surprise us. This was a time when a career in music was an unexpected course for women. She was also a teacher to violinist Marjorie Edwards, the San Jose, California native violinist of note from the 1930s. Whenever she performed, Parlow made an impressive splash, and when she did, the mostly male writers in the audience felt the need to compare and find her masculine. The New York American, for example, called Parlow a young artist who has soul and poetry, technique, and just a touch at least of masculine strength a sentiment that is heard often when the critics applaud a woman for an accomplishment in an arena where few of the female persuasion have gone before. Such left-handed compliments continued from the critics and plagued Evelyn Starr as well. Masculine vigor of execution, wrote one critic. Scorn of sentimentality, wrote another. Somehow, 
successful, powerful women would need to be cloaked in male words to fit into the new arena. To the writers, feminine strength was a non-sequitur for women, the weaker sex. Ribbons and Bows, American Women in Violin History, a presentation of Elfenworks Productions Beyond Film and Music, will return after this brief message. Hi, I'm Seema Shams, Chief Development Officer at the Carter Center, where we're waging peace, fighting disease, building hope. Did you know that you can be a part of advancing the lives of women and their families worldwide? Find out more at www.cartercenter.org. That's www.cartercenter.org. Now we return to Ribbons and Bows, American Women in Violin History. For these pioneer women violinists, critics felt compelled to point out their gender even as they spoke about having transcended its boundaries. Listen to their words for a moment, writing on women violinists through the years. On Frances Berkova. Commanding her exceptionally full-sounding violin with a firm, almost masculine stroke. On Ruth Breton. Energetic bowing, well-defined rhythm, and a rich tone, satisfying on every string, give the character of her interpretations an almost masculine trait. On Thelma Given. Her bowing has masculine vigor and yet is capable of appealing songfulness. On Carol Glenn. She brings to her playing a masculine sort of vitality, intense musical feeling, and a mastery of tonal color and shading. On Emily Gresser. Miss Gresser is very young, but she possesses a splendid cantilena, a masculine breath, wealth of emotion, and noble legato. On Leia Lipschutz. Feminine refinement and masculine virility distinguish her playing. What tone! What command of technique. On Giselle Anou. Her tone is vigorous, masculine, and full of color. On Kathleen Parlow. Miss Parlow's sweeping style, the magnificent boldness of her bow arm, her brilliant and unerring finger technique, and her masculinity of performance again made their usual impression. On Maud Powell. Although a woman, she played a masculine breadth when the composition demanded it. On Evelyn Starr. She plays with an almost masculine power and both the selections and the delivery of yesterday's program indicated the high and assured aims of the artist. On Helen Teschner-Toss. Masculine power, virtuoso technique. On Catherine Wade-Smith. There is almost a masculine breadth and power to her work. Her interpretations are warm and colorful, and her tone full and mellow. Some critics went so far as to disparage the gender, even as they praised the player. Even as late as the 1940s, a critic wrote of the great Carol Glenn, There used to be a feeling that a woman violinist was a commercial question mark, and Miss Glenn has thoroughly exploded it with a professional schedule of over 60 concerts in one year, 28 of them with major orchestras. A commercial question mark, indeed. When being really catty, these men would refer to the virtuoso women as girls, as when the great Leona Flood was called by the Saturday Evening Post one of the few really popular girl violinists. Often, when calling a female violinist great, the critic would limit the comparison to others of her gender. For example, when one critic wrote that Leona Flood showed herself to be a violinist of the caliber 
of Jeanette Niveau. Or when Chicago Evening American wrote, You may believe us when we tell you that Yeli Diranyi is a great violinist, the greatest woman violin virtuosa of the day. It's difficult to enumerate her talents. But on occasion, critics were generous, as the Detroit News, for example, once wrote of Leona Flood. She has the most impressive technique, certainly, of any of the young Americans of either sex. It was a rare critic indeed who extolled the strength of the female musician for something of exceeding value. But one such reviewer in London's Morning Post did so for Yeli Duranyi's rendition of the Mozart. Here's what they wrote. As one listened to Yeli Duranyi's limpid tones, to the perfect phrasing that made Mozart's concerto in D sparkle with a brilliant luster, one was reminded of Mozart's own saying that as a rule, Woman of genius plays with more expression than a man. Is a musical family a strength? If so, Yeli Duranyi had it also, a grandniece of the great Joseph Joachim. The Post-Dispatch hinted of this also, but made sure the reader knew that she was an artist in her own right, with a strong personality which pervades everything she plays, even to such an accidental thing as poise. Personality... Poise, strength, beauty, honor, kindness, grace, assurance, vision, presence, yes, even genius. These are qualities available regardless of gender, age, ethnicity, or other limiting or belittling category. And while we may not all be destined for the same sort of greatness, we can all cultivate strengths and live out our own hero story just as did these extraordinary women of the violin. When we limit ourselves to only some of these qualities, we deny ourselves some of the richness of the human experience. Surprising sources of strength can be found all around us. Great role models, great teachers. Even the weather can help us move along our chosen path. By tracing these strengths and pointing out these cool connections, we hope we've shown how we, too, share this connection and lineage. And we can see how, just as we've stood on the shoulders of so many along this road, there will be moments where we, too, can be models, teachers, and helpers for others as well. And now we bid a fond farewell to these beautiful trailblazers. From the Romantic era, from the Roaring Twenties, from the Thirties, the 40s, the 50s, so many fierce artists from the 19th through the mid-20th century. It's been a joy to get to know them. And looking back now, we realize they taught us more than we ever dreamed. Not just as women, although they were great role models. Not just as violinists, although their songs still enchant to this day, but as people. Because they teach us that every true dream pursued with passion, can light a candle for others who follow. It's not just all the little girls who pick up violins as if it's always been their birthright. It's all of us, you and I and everyone, who pick up and follow after our dreams. Because that is what they teach us. That is our birthright. And for that, we remain ever grateful.
This episode features excerpts from works in the public domain and copyrighted recordings of Maud Powell that were used with permission from the copyright holder. For details, including full legal notice, visit elfinworksproductions.com. Ribbons and Bows, American Women in Violin History has been a presentation of Elfinworks Productions, Beyond Film and Music. Writer-producer-director Lauren Spieth, research and assistant producer Devin Philo, technical consultant Christopher Spieth, narrated by Lauren Spieth, audio engineer Josh Workman. Learn about all our products, including this one, available as an audiobook release, and find more information and detailed histories online now at www.elfinworksproductions.com. We thank you for your patronage and partnership as we strive to tell the stories that matter. Copyright 2018, Elfinworks Productions, LLC. All rights reserved.